Well, there's a lot of talk about race in our culture today, but I'd, I'd like to talk with you for a few minutes about how as Christians we can participate in that conversation. That's what this sermon series is about. We're calling it Global Culture. Last week we began with a reflection on Proverbs 15, chapter 1. And part of the how is with gentleness, right? We can come into a conversation like that with gentleness. And we model the spirit of Jesus when we do that. This week we want to look at Ephesians, chapter 2, where we see that the story of the Bible actually gives us a unique perspective And we want to live into and communicate that perspective as we engage the conversation. So would you pull out your Bible? Maybe it's just your phone. Let's navigate over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. This is Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. What a great passage of scripture we're about to read. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So do you catch what Paul is saying? God has a plan to create in his son, Jesus Christ, one new humanity. There is in Jesus Christ a new Adam whole new creation, a new man, a new humanity. Have you ever seen that illustration from back in the 1970s? It was a cover of the New Yorker magazine and it was a New Yorker's view of the world. Remember that, New Yorker's view of the world? If you don't remember that, you can Google right now on your phone to just Google view of the world from Ninth Avenue and you'll see this beautiful illustration that comes up. It's about perspective perspective. It was drawn by a man named Saul Steinberg. And if you're looking at it, what you see, this is, it's a view of the world, but it's a New Yorker's view of the world. And mostly what you see is New York City. It's just like 9th Avenue and 10th Avenue, about a block and a half. And then there's the Hudson River. Then there's Jersey. And the U.S. is just like another block in length. It's all been foreshortened. And just a few things are labeled there. You see Los Angeles, Las Vegas, 
Uh, Pacific Northwest doesn't even exist in this view of the world. And then there's another strip of, of uh, apparently a river, but it's actually the Pacific Ocean. And beyond that, you can just barely see these little mounds that represent and are labeled uh, China and Japan and Russia. This is a New Yorker's view of the world. And it's kind of humorous. It's, it's, it, it's not unique to New York City, though. I'm sure you could draw that map in reverse from any other place like Beijing or Tokyo or Moscow looking back uh, at New York, and it would look the same. And the problem is that when you and I are talking about race, oftentimes our perspectives are so different that it's hard to even recognize we're looking at the same thing. Perspective. Now here St. Paul in our text that we just read acknowledges that he has his own perspective on race. Remember, Paul is the Rabbi Saul of Tarsus. He's a, he's a faithful Jew. And he refers to others as Gentiles. He says, you Gentiles in the text that we read. This is a Jewish way of referring to people who are not Jews, Gentiles. The word Gentile just means ethnicity or nation. The Hebrew word is goyim. The Greek word is ethnoi, from which we get our word ethnic. And it refers to a group of people that are bound together by birth and or location. I just found whenever I'm reading the Bible, and this word comes up all over the place in Hebrew or Greek, that I'll replace the word Gentile with the word nations or ethnicities, because that's closer to the sense in which it was used. So Paul says, you ethnicities, he says. This is his perspective. And here St. Paul acknowledges that he has his own uh, perspective on race. Notice the quotation marks there. There's apparently a racial conversation that's happening. And Paul's kind of alluding to it. This is a quick offhanded reference, uh, a conversation between different ethnicities. We called you uncircumcision and you called us circumcision. You say this, we say that. And behind this conversation lies some considerable pain. He uses the word alienation. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were outsiders. And he talks later about actual hostility. Now seeing themselves as aliens from the commonwealth of Israel is probably not some of the original hearers of this letter would have seen themselves, if you imagine in Asia Minor, Phrygians and Armenians and Ionians and Gauls hearing this letter read in church, they probably don't think of themselves as aliens. Uh, but here Paul is acknowledging he brings to the conversation his own Jewish perspective. But then in verse 13, there's a transition. Look at the text again. Verse 13, suddenly there's a shift and it's signaled by five words. But now in Christ Jesus... But now in Christ Jesus, shift of perspective. We called you this, you called us that. This was our perspective, that was yours. We were insiders, you were outsiders. We had God, you were alienated. But now in Christ Jesus, what's he saying? God has entered the world. God has entered the conversation. He's changed our ethnic reality and he's changing our perspectives. But God... There's a lot of talk about race in our culture today. But here's what I'd like you to think about. What happens when your perspective on the world becomes a map for the world? 
That illustration by Saul Steinberg was a really good illustration, but it would be a really poor map. If you're trying to navigate New York City, let alone America or, or China, just, it just wouldn't work, right? So what happens when we turn our perspectives into a map? Saul Steinberg actually was a Jewish Romanian who came to United States through the Dominican Republic where he arrived after having fled anti-Semitism, a pogrom in Milan, Italy. And maybe it took a so-called outsider to help New Yorkers see how parochial our perspectives can sometimes be. And he's saying, your perspective is just your perspective. It's actually not the map. Now, I'm not sure there really is such a thing as a white view of the world or an Asian view of the world, but we do live in a racialized world and our perspectives are shaped, aren't they, by history or upbringing or unique experiences that we have or our culture, oftentimes by the media. And there are a lot of different perspectives. Some people would say there's a Fox perspective, a CNN perspective, an NPR perspective. There are perspectives in our social media feeds and in our classrooms, and they're all important to hear. But the question is, will these perspectives get us where we want to go if they become the map? Will they work as a map? Last week after worship, one of you came up to me and made a good point. He said, George, I think if you ask any of us, would we rather have our thinking shaped by corporate media or by Jesus? I don't think any of us would say, oh, corporate media, please. I mean, I don't think any of us would choose to be formed by an entity with a profit margin, right? No. And yet that's the reality, isn't it? Look at how we spend our time. Look at who our actual teachers are. See, but Jesus gives us a unique perspective. Jesus, I, I mean, I want my outlook, I want my thinking shaped by Jesus. This is what I want for myself. I think this is what you want for you. You wouldn't be here. This is what we want together for our church family. And so what we want to learn to do is do what Paul's doing and go, this is the way I have seen it, but now in Christ Jesus, see, which is to say, I want God's perspective. Isn't that what Paul's getting at in this, in this part of the letter? He's saying, well, we can look at it the way that we Jews looked at it, or we can look at it the way you other ethnicities looked at it, but we all know where that's taking us. I mean, remember how the chapter begins. If you look back up the page, Ephesians 2, it, Paul says earlier in this chapter, he says, you nations, by the way, he's addressing other, the Gentiles, other nations here. He says, you nations were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. That's verse one of chapter two. And, it's, and he says, and we Jews, uh, he'd been very equal here. We were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. What he's saying is when you turn your perspective in a map, you're not going to like where you end up. See, that's what he's saying. But now in Christ Jesus, Paul says it earlier in the chapter two, he says, listen, but God who is rich in mercy, there he is, but God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Oh, by grace, you have been saved, he said. He's saying God's got a map. God's got a plan for the nations. You're gonna like where it leads us. All of us saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is good news. 
Right, so what is God's plan for the nations? It, it begs the question, what is the plan? If we want God's map for racial reconciliation, then we need to know this book. Because what you may or may not know is that, that one of the very central plot lines of this book is a story about racial reconciliation. It's driving the narrative from the very beginning all the way to the end. And, and I, I want to help you see that uh, today. What I want to do is, you know, kind of get in a helicopter like Logan Roy, right? If he can do it, we can do it. Just pop out of our perspective in Manhattan and kind of fly over the whole arc of the biblical narrative and get an overview of what God is doing through this one man, Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is really quickly, I want to give you the, the, the narrative of God, the racial narrative in six different chapters. Okay, I'm going to put this on the screen. You may want to take a picture of this or write this down. I'll show this to you one more time. But here are the six chapters. Number one, ethnic equality. Number two, ethnic idolatry. Number three, ethnic promise. Number four, ethnic reconciliation. Number five, ethnic mission. And number six, ethnic unity. The story begins with one race, the human race. This is chapter one, ethnic equality. Here we hear the words of the Lord. He says, let us make humankind in our image. Notice he, in the Hebrew, it's literally said, let us make a man. We're all one race at this point. Let's make a man. Uh, this word man, by the way, is the Hebrew word Adam, from which we get our word Adam. It's not a gender term. There's another word for male. This is a neutral. It's not an ethnically specific word. This is not let us make a Jew. Let us make an Aramean, which is what Abraham was. No, let us make an Israelite. No, this is let us make a man, a human being. Let us make humanity. Now, whether you, like I, believe that there was a literal first human or not, the theological message of this is absolutely clear. There is a oneness to the human race. There's one humanity, one race alone. The Lord seems to be saying right from the very beginning, look, here's my perspective. You could never be better or worse than anyone else. It would never be right to be dominating or oppressed by someone else. Each of you reflects me, you're in my image, and especially together as a whole, you reflect me. How radical for Israel to see that their own ethnic story actually doesn't begin with them. It begins with all human beings. So there's a lesson here, and that is this, that God affirms something in every ethnicity. No matter who you are today, God affirms something in your ethnicity. God saw that it was good. So, so ethnic equality, this is the first chapter, but the story then continues. It takes a uh, an unfortunate turn into alienation. So now we come to chapter two, ethnic idolatry. Here we hear the words, let us make a name for ourselves. Not for God, but for ourselves. This is Genesis 11.4. These are words spoken by different ethnic communities uh, at the Tower of Babel. And you, you may know that story, but what happens is the Lord comes down it comes down, the text says, and he confuses the languages of the nations. Why? Because of idolatry. They were making a name for themselves. Now we do this all the time. Uh, idolatry is when you take a good thing and you turn it into an ultimate thing. When you love anything more than you love God, that's idolatry. And the, you know, it, could be, it could be my job, it could be my family, it could be my ethnicity. But the problem with that is that when we do that, we will privilege that thing over other things. And this idolatry around ethnicity starts to create problems. 
So here's the other kind of counterpart to that insight I just gave you. Yes, God affirms something in every ethnicity, but God also confronts something in every ethnicity. See, the story kind of goes from good to worse in these first chapters of Genesis. In Genesis 10, the one that perceives Babel, we get this table of nations, which by the way is unique in the ancient world, this list of different ethnicities. God has a plan for all of them. He loves all of them. And they're gonna fan out over the whole world. But at the same time, that plan is tainted. These ethnicities are mixed with idolatry. And as we see, the effects of human idolatry from Genesis chapter uh, three spreads through fear and alienation and violence and injustice and division. And this is an ethnic story as well as a human story, ethnic idolatry. But God, okay, chapter three, but God, there's an ethnic promise. We hear these words, the Lord speaking, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord is speaking to a man named Abraham. The Lord starts a whole new ethnicity, not to be superior to the other ethnicities, but to bless all the other ethnicities. Not to be better, but simply to be first as a conduit of God's blessing to every single, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your descendants, Abraham. That's the plan. And I wish you could see how central that is to the Old Testament. Let me just give you a sample of it. And there's so many passages I had to, to read and filter out. Just Deuteronomy 4, 6, where the Lord gives the law again to Israel. The Lord says, essentially, I give you my law, not to separate you from others, but to attract others through you to me, the nations. Psalm 96 we hear from David, when you worship me among the nations, the Lord seems to be saying, all the earth will rejoice, the whole earth. Solomon, as he's engaging in worship with Israel, and they've just built the tabernacle, the, the temple, excuse me, and they, and they dedicate it. First Kings 8, 43, Solomon prays that all the peoples of the earth would know your name, O Lord. And then the Lord says in Isaiah 19, 25, listen to this, blessed be Egypt, my people, well, that's interesting. The Lord's saying, Egypt, these are my people. Africans are my people. And Assyria, the work of my hands, not just Israel, but Egypt and Assyria, Far East. And in Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord says, I will give you Israel as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's an ethnic promise. That's but God. And then number four, chapter four, ethnic reconciliation. Here we heed the words that we've read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, 15. He has created one new humanity in place of the two. Not Jew or Gentile. One new humanity, a new Adam, a new man, a new humanity in Jesus. This is Jesus. And as soon as Jesus steps onto the scene, he begins to confront ethnic idolatry. I don't know if you noticed this. His first sermon, Luke chapter 4, he's in his own hometown in Nazareth. You know what happens? After he preaches, they want to run him off a cliff. How's that for feedback? Why? What did Jesus say in his very first message? What did he say? He said that the Lord blessed Gentiles. He starts talking about a Syrian man and a Sidonian woman and the blessing. And when they hear that, they are outraged. Jesus is talking about Gentiles, nations, ethnicities. He says, yes, I come first to the lost sheep of Israel, but then he keeps pushing his followers out of their ethnic comfort zones. I'm gonna take you on a walk through Samaria. We're gonna visit with Romans. We're gonna love your non-ethnic neighbors and the stories he tells. 
But good guys are not the Jews oftentimes. But it's not just his teaching, Jesus. His reconciliation comes through his actions more than anything. I mean, anybody can teach about reconciliation. Be fair, be equal, be one. And Jesus does that. But it's not what he says, it's what he does. He brings reconciliation through the cross, his death on the cross, his own blood, through his resurrection from the dead. It all goes back to the very beginning. A new Adam. This is a reboot, a reboot, a reset. He's the second Adam, a new man, a new humanity, humanity reconciled to God and reconciling all the nations. In this man, our ethnic idolatry is forgiven. In this man, our ethnic wounds are healed. He creates one new humanity in place of the two. That's chapter four, ethnic reconciliation. Five, ethnic mission. This is where we are right now. Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, gives a great commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnicities, every single one. See, now, through faith in Jesus, anyone can experience this new humanity. And we begin to see it throughout the New Testament. Uh, Pentecost, uh, Babel is reversed. Again, the Holy Spirit comes down, same language. And the, the languages of various ethnicities are spoken by the followers of Jesus. Never learn these languages. Africans, Asians, Mesopotamians, Europeans, they all hear their native tongues spoken in this little Christian community because the Holy Spirit has come now. The new humanity is here now. And Acts, the story, it's the story of these ethnicities receiving the good news as the gospel moves towards the ends of the earth. We see Africans and Asians, Greeks and Romans embracing the gospel. And the, the epistles, the, these are letters that the apostles wrote to these churches as they struggle to live into the reality of multi-ethnic communities. So much of the things that they address have to do with ethnic and cultural tensions because they're, they're learning how to do this for the very first time. Did you know that historians tell us that uh, outsiders called the first followers of Jesus a third race? They referred to him as a third race. Isn't that interesting? Like the first was the Jews and the second was the Greeks and then these crazy Christians, a third. Listen to one text. We read, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They love all people and are persecuted by all. Isn't that wonderful? Not the persecution part, but yeah, they stood apart as a counterculture, like they stood outside of their ethnic identities in their unity in Christ. And the world noticed that. And by the way, I think that's why you, those of you who have an immigrant experience in your past have a lot to teach us uh, at UPC about what does it mean to kind of be in the world but not of the world, to live out our citizenship in heaven and not be too much at home here. Apparently that's the way the first Christians lived. So this is the chapter that we're current in, currently in, ethnic mission. But there's one last coming and that's looking at the very end, ethnic unity. Here we hear saints from every tribe, every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the end and all eternity. Jesus returns and he gathers around the throne of God, a great multitude we read in Revelation 5. But notice the ethnic particularity survives. We can still hear different tongues, languages. We still recognize different cultures and we see different colors and ethnicity. This is our destiny. Now all the good of these cultures are, uh, is glorified and their idolatry is transformed. 
At this point, and only this point, faith becomes sight. And our perspectives in this moment come together. And we see his perspective. His perspective finally becomes our perspectives when we see him as a, a multi-ethnic, great multitude. See, that's the moment you'll see Jesus as he is through the eyes of others. That's the moment you'll see yourself as you are, not less than anyone else, not more than anyone else. That's the moment you'll see your Kurdish neighbor, your Slavic neighbor, your Duwamish neighbor as they are. That's the moment you'll see the one man and the one human race and the many nations that are reconciled in him. Oh, we yearn for that moment. You see, but this this storyline, this arc in six chapters, it's a unique perspective. This is God's perspective. Equality, idolatry, promise, reconciliation, mission, unity. This is the story that you and I are actually in, whether you believe it or not. And this is the map. This is the only map I know that will get us where we all yearn to go. So finally, let me ask you this question. How can we help each other shift our perspectives? Because we, we do need one another in this. And let me make two suggestions. It'll just get us started. But I think two things we can do to help us shift our perspectives. Wonder and curiosity. Wonder and curiosity. Let's wonder together over God's great plan. Isn't it wonderful? Let's help each other navigate by Jesus's map. When I was in college, a Danish photographer came to campus and shared this lecture and his photographs about racial injustice in America. And I was devastated by it. I was a sophomore because I think I realized for the first time that racial injustice was not just a thing of the past. It was here in my own time and in my own world. And this is a wonderful artist and a wonderful man. But as far as I can remember, he never offered us a, a solution for the problem or one that I sensed was credible. And so that night I went back to my dorm room just filled with despair, just crushed actually. But coincidentally around the same time, I signed up for a small group Bible study. Uh, there were several groups on campus that were formed and this is a surprise. I was not a church guy at all, not someone uh, with any religious interest, but I, someone invited me or twisted my arm uh, and there was nothing special about this group. It was just a group of sophomores and juniors that were getting together looking at the Bible. Something transformed my life at that point. I met Jesus. He stepped out of the book as a real living person and I realized there's a map here. Jesus has a map here. And it was credible and it, and it, and it, and it solves the deepest, deepest crisis of humanity. Wonder. So I was filled with wonder. And we need to help each other with that kind of wonder. So I want to invite you, if you're not in a small group, to join one this fall. We're forming new small groups. Join a small group. Uh, upstairs, if you come back an hour early next week, you can go into one of our uh, small groups called Immerse. Right now, they're brand new groups. They just started today. They'll be starting them again next week. Um, come and join an Immerse group. Uh, join a group on campus. If you're a student, we have new groups that are forming uh, very shortly. You can come to upc.org college and uh, learn about those groups. But when we get into racial conversations, we need to help each other realize which map are we using? Are we using the map of our own perspectives or the media's or are we using the map that God gives us in Jesus Christ? We need to get to know the story that we're in and have wonder. The second thing we could do is shift our perspective. And here I point to curiosity. Let's be curious about each other's ethnic experiences and cultural experiences. Let's learn to look through each other's eyes. What does it look like 
from where you are, from your culture. Now, I, I know some of us don't even think we have a culture, um, and this is where we particularly need help. One time I was flying to New York City, by the way, on an airplane, long transcontinental flight, and I was sitting next to this delightful young woman, and I found out she was from Long Island. She was from Long Island, New York, and she took her coffee with a W, you know, and, 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 she, and we had this great conversation. When we landed, she said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from California. She said, that's funny, because you have the strongest accent of anybody I've ever met. <laughs> and I'm like, what, an accent? I didn't know I had an axe, but I, have, I do. I have, an, I have a California axe. I didn't even know it. Right? It took somebody with a different set of eyes who could see something in me that I couldn't even see. And that's kind of what we have to do with each other. You, know, you might have an accent, you don't even know it. Right? We're going to look through each other's eyes. And we'll see things differently when we do that. But we, let's remember to do this with gentleness. Remember our prayer? We learned this last week. If you didn't catch the message, go back and listen online. What's the prayer? Lord, soften my heart, soften my heart words. We're going to need gentleness as we do this. I would encourage you to avoid questions like, so where are you from? <laughs> or are you involved in kindred or a ministry to internationals yet? You know, I know the intent there is good, but it, those questions can make people feel like an outsider, like this isn't their church or their place. And it can only expose your own cultural perspective. So I would encourage you to try questions like this. Do you have any spiritual curiosity? Uh, how do you see Jesus? How do you think about your own culture? By the way, these are good questions for your neighborhood as well. Green Lake, walking the dog. How do you, take a picture of this. Do you have any spiritual curiosity? How do you see Jesus? How do you think about your own culture? And let the conversation, let them lead the conversation. See, wonder, sharing Jesus' map. Curiosity, seeing through each other's eyes. And I'll just close with this thought. Someday, you know what's going to be on the cover of the news. You know it. We've already seen the image. We've seen the end from the beginning if we read the Bible. Revelation 5. This is going to be the news. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around the throne of God singing praise to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Global culture is one of our five values. When we say global culture at UPC, we mean that culture. That culture. Living it out today. Opening our lives to the world on our doorstep. Global culture at UPC is about humbly questioning our own perspectives and saying, but now in Christ Jesus. Global culture at UPC is about navigating by the map that God gives us in the Bible and saying, but now in Christ Jesus. Global culture at UPC is about seeing through each other's eyes and saying, but now in Christ Jesus. Global culture at UPC is letting Jesus make us agents of justice as he heals our ethnic wounds and saying, but now in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we've got a long ways to go, but someday very soon, we'll see the one who will wipe away every tear. We'll see and we'll sing every tribe and tongue and people and, and uh, nation, a great multitude, the text says, with a full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be singing together for all eternity. Maybe it's time to get to know the choir a little better and to start learning our parts today. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inflame our imaginations, with, would you? by word and spirit that we might see with the eyes of faith what the world 
yearns to see today that we might be agents of justice and conveyors of hope and conduits of blessing to one another here in this church family and well beyond throughout the neighborhoods around the world. We pray that you'll do it so that the world doesn't say, what a great church, but so that the world will say, what a great savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen.